Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you that what you tell us tonight in the Bible is not just something we want to be interested in, but something we want to be living in. And help us, therefore, to please listen and to live in line with what you tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 27. It's a long chapter, but very exciting. Let me read verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adriamitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put to sea at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the winds did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete, of Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lazia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbour was not suitable to spend the winter, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they'd obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Caudia, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear 
and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong to and whom I worship. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven along the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on they took a sounding again and they found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four ankles from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul, day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will strengthen you, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship and when they had eaten enough they lightened the ship throwing out the wheat into the sea now when it was day they did not recognize the land but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned if possible to run the ship ashore so they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea and at the same time loosened the ropes that tied the rudders. 
and then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But, striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bar stuck and remained immovable. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest they should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Okay, I want you to try and guess who I am. Okay, guess who I am. On the 31st of October, this country will leave the European Union. Do or die. Anyone want to guess? Who? Okay. Uh, wrong hair, wrong school, wrong job, but you saw through me because of the passion, the confidence, the certainty, the conviction that what I say will happen will happen. But what do you think? Will what Boris says will happen, will it happen? We don't know. History will tell. But this part of the Bible is written so that we can stake everything that what Jesus said will happen, will happen. And nothing will stop what Jesus says from happening. Not a storm, or if you go into next chapter, not a snake. And we are going to learn how we can be confident. There are two things that help us to be confident. That what God says will happen, will happen. The first thing that helps us to be confident that what God says will happen, will happen, is history. Okay, And what we have been reading about in chapter 27 is the best history you can read. Because the best history is written by someone who was there. And the person who's writing this, his name is Luke, tells you that he is there all the time. Look at it in verse 27. When it was decided we should set sail for Italy. So he was there. And all the time he is there again and again. I asked the WhatsApp group to count up how many times the word we appears in Acts chapter 27. Can anyone give me an answer? Hmm? 16? 60 or 16? 60. One six. One six. One six. Any advance on one six? Twenty. That's an advance on one six. It's not the answer. What's the answer? It's fifty. Really? 
Paul is weeing everywhere. Um, and it's Paul again and again saying, I was there. I was there. I saw this happen. I saw this happen. This is the best history you can get. You can see that with the, with the uh, uh, Luke um, uh, presence, but also you see it with many details. So in verse 1, you read about this Augustan cohort named Julius. And all the people who know about the Roman army say, we haven't read about the Augustus cohort. We know all the other regiments in the Roman army, we've never heard of this one. Luke's making it up. No, he isn't. Because this is a special forces unit that the emperor used to guard prisoners of the emperor. In other words, his greatest enemies, the ones who could do him the greatest harm, were guarded by this special forces unit. And so the Bible is telling us, and of course the usual Roman regiments don't have their name. It also tells us that uh, Luke tells us what the best, gives us the best travel itinerary in the whole ancient world. So that uh, a historian called W.H. Thomas said, there is not, no such detailed recording of the working of an ancient ship in the whole of, phys- of uh, ancient literature, of classical literature. This is the best account that there is in the world from that time. We're used to, these days, a captain writing a daily log of what happened at sea. Luke is writing a captain's log before there was a captain's log. And he describes the weather conditions and how they fit with this region. So you hear this person, this, this place called Certis, how it was shallow and people were worried and scared. Why? Because that's where all the ships went down. And marine archaeologists have been able to go under the water and see all the ships that sank. No wonder they were frightened. There was um, uh, a man called uh, John Newton. John Newton's dad had a merchant ship. So John Newton grew up with the sea. And then he himself became the ship's captain. But sadly, his ship used to carry slaves. And when John Newton was sailing through these seas, one day he was hit by a storm and he prayed, God, look after me. And God saved him. And later he wrote a song called Amazing Grace. And in the song he wrote, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will take me home. Fits in Acts 27 perfectly. And it fits in with what we know about the seas of that area. And we know the geography fits in as well because once you get blown off Crete, you've got no more harbours you can be safe in. 
you've got nothing but the open sea. And so everything that Luke writes is history and can be trusted. But there's something else that history does in this chapter. It shows us how hope is taken apart when people try to save themselves. These sailors are experts and they're doing everything they can to save themselves. So if you look at chapter 27 and verse 16, you will see that the storm has already started. That starts in verse 14. But still, they've got a little bit of protection. They're going in the lee of an island. That means they've got a little bit of protection from the island. So what do they do? The best thing, they grab the ship's boat and they bring it onto the ship. Otherwise, that would have uh, taken in water and slowed them down and been an extra danger for them. They take that out of the way. The first thing they do to try and save themselves. And then you go on and you see that after hoisting the boat on in uh, verse 17, they put ropes all around the bottom of the ship because they want to protect the spine of the ship, the backbone of the ship to stop it breaking up in heavy seas. So that was a clever thing to do, to try and save themselves. And they do that. And then they start throwing out uh, things that they didn't really want to throw out, but they knew they had to throw out if they wanted to save themselves. They even threw off the ship's tackle. They wouldn't have done that too readily. But they had to because they want to save themselves. But nonetheless, after all those things that happened, and while it's happening, the, the sea is black, it's grey, the seas are like mountains all around you, there's spray going everywhere, and they can't see where they are. The one thing they know for certain is that every day they are moving miles off course and are completely lost, have no idea where they are. And so history tells us in verse 20 that they have lost all hope. <coughs> history tells us that those who try and save themselves end up losing all hope, verse 20, at the end. But history tells us something else. And history tells us that God does what he says he will do. Now, God had already told Paul in chapter 23 and verse 11, if you want to look, God had already told Paul that he is going to Rome. So if you look back at chapter 23 and verse 11, the following night the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So God had already told him that this is what was going to take place. And so Paul knew that this is where God was going to take him. And history tells us that that is exactly what happened. Because in the end, we have the history. 
it's not like the black box that people find that tells you, well, this is what happened, but there's nothing else around to tell you that that's what happened, only the black box survived. No. The whole history survived because it didn't end up soggy and wet and at the bottom of the sea because Luke and his history were there. God kept his word. And so history tells us that when God says he will do something, that is exactly what he does. And you can stake everything on what God says will happen, will happen. History tells us to do that. But there's something else that tells us to do that. Paul tells us to do that. And Paul is there and no one will listen to him when you look at verse 10. Paul says, look, don't go. It will be dangerous. And in verse 12, they listen to the majority and they ignore Paul. After all, what does he know? This man is a Christian apostle. What does he know about the sea? He doesn't know anything. Ignore him. Let's go because we know better. But they should have listened because this man, Paul, is not just another apostle. If you've read the story so far, you know he can talk about the sea with authority. Already in this book, he has done 11 voyages by sea. He has covered something like 3,500 miles by sea. This is not the first day he's ever gone near a boat. So when they tell him, when, when he tells them they should listen, they shouldn't say, what does he know? And that's what they should have done. They should have listened. And I tell you, although there were people who weren't listening in verse 10, by the time you get to the end of verse 20, there will be 276 people who say, I wish I'd listened to Paul. And that's the same thing today. People say, we shouldn't listen to Paul. What does he know? So yesterday in London, we had the Gay Pride March. And everybody turned up and wore their rainbow colors. And thousands were there. The majority of people around that time were all supporting that. But Paul, well, he'd be someone who says, be careful. This is not helpful for us. It's not helpful for anyone. But what does he know? He doesn't know the new thinking, the new discoveries that we have made. What does Paul know? He's stuck back and old-fashioned. Another thing that they don't like Paul saying, that men should be in charge of homes and families. That's very controversial these days. What does Paul know about how human relationships and structures and how they work? And yet, it is always worth listening to the one that other people write off rather than go with the majority. Paul has great authority and we should listen to him. And happily, by the end, that's exactly what happens. 
So even the senior army officer of these special forces, in verse 31, when Paul says, you've got to make sure that those sailors stay on the boat, in verse 32, the commander gives the orders and he listens to Paul. Because this man has got authority and we must follow him. But other, let me tell you another reason why, an attractive reason why. We can follow Paul because he is someone who uses his authority the way Jesus did as a servant. So in verse 21 when he says, you should have listened to me, he's not being a very proud, I told you so sort of person. Look, I was right, you were wrong. He's not coming at it like that. He's only telling them that because he wants them to know from now on, why don't you trust me when I tell you? Because he's concerned. In verse 21, the reason why he said it is because they hadn't any food. And in verse 34, he wants to tell them to eat. And he wants them to listen to him because he cares for them. This is a man who's looking after other people. He wants to serve other people. And you see that when you go into chapter 28 and they are shipwrecked and Paul gets, uh, it's, it's raining and they've got to light a fire and people are gathering uh, sticks and Paul is there just like anybody else, not saying, hey, I saved the ship, now you serve me. No, he's there gathering sticks as well. Because here's a man who is a wonderfully attractive servant with all the authority of a leader. And so therefore these are reasons why we should listen to Paul and follow through what he says about God. But the best reason of all is there in verse 24 where God explains to Paul what will happen. And in verse 24 he tells Paul three things. First, don't be afraid. Very interesting, isn't it, that even the Apostle needs to hear those words when it seems that what God said will happen may not actually happen because the weather conditions were freak and so bad. And yet God says, don't be afraid. I have given you orders to go to Rome and until my purposes are fulfilled, you are invincible. Don't be afraid. Second thing he says, you will speak to Caesar. What I want to say to you, you must say to him. God's word is to be passed on to every single person, including the highest leader in the empire. And the third thing he says is God has guaranteed you the whole crew of how many people? 276. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because when it says God has granted you, what does that tell you? That Paul had been praying for them. And this was granted to him as an answer to prayer. Because Paul could see the danger. If you look at verse 10, you will see that Paul was very aware that uh, people might be 
killed, not just the cargo and the ship. And so he's been praying for people, and God says, I will grant you everyone who is traveling with you. I've heard your prayer. It's been granted. It's wonderful, isn't it? Because it gives you a picture of what this God is like. This God doesn't say, I don't really want to save anybody, but if I have to save somebody, okay, Paul, I'll save you. No one else. Or maybe I'll save you and a couple of friends. Now, the nature of this God is to save one person and everyone with that one person. And that's how it works with Jesus. He resurrects Jesus from the dead, but he doesn't say, okay, I've done it once, that's enough. He says, I will also save everybody in him. That is the nature of God, to be like that. And so he's willing to grant Paul the crew as well. Now what can we learn from all of that as we finish tonight? I think the number one thing to learn, if you're someone who is new, if uh, you are not uh, yet a Christian, and you are someone who is new, then I think the first lesson that we can learn is that God gives people a tool. There is a tool that will help you to know that there is a God and that you can stake everything on what he says. You know what that tool is? History. History will tell you that what God says will happen will happen. Because it has happened. Just as history will tell you whether Boris Johnson is to be believed or not, history has told us that what God has said has happened exactly as God has said. And if you're someone who's new to Christian things, stake everything on the fact that what God said will happen will happen. And come to the Lord Jesus and ask him to save you. Because what God says will happen at the end of the world is that something worse than a storm. And it is that in the end the day of judgment comes and life will be lost unless you stake everything on what God has said and ask him to save you. What happens if you've been to church? What happens if you've been to church lots? Can you see how this passage tells us the danger of trying to save ourselves? See, many churches you go to, they will say, trust God. But really, they tell you, and you must do this, and you must do this, and you must do this, as part of you must save yourselves. And what the Bible tells us that when we try to save ourselves, what happens is that all hope is gone. And the only way to be safe is just to trust what God has promised and cling to that. And God will bring about his safety in our lives. Trust what God has promised to do rather than 
a little checklist of things that you are going to do to keep yourself safe. That's called law. And it's so easy for us to say trust in God and to try and save ourselves. And we need to see from this little story how that just ends up with all hope being lost. But trust in God is where all hope is fulfilled. But what happens if you say to yourself, okay, I believe that God, everything that God says will happen. I will stake everything on the fact that what God says will happen will happen. What does that mean? The answer is, if you really do believe that what God says will happen will happen, you will tell other people that what God says will happen will happen. That's what happened in this story. God told Paul what was going to happen. And what did he do? He told the crew to encourage them and say, live with this confidence because God is going to keep you safe. And so you might say that we as a church, if we want to talk to each other, how do we encourage each other as a church family? We need to keep encouraging each other saying, what God said will happen, will happen. I know it just seems dark. I know it seems hopeless. I know the seas around you are like a mountain, but really hold on in there. Trust that what God says will happen, will happen. This storm is not the ultimate ending. There will be more beyond. And we need to explain and encourage each other to keep our eyes on life beyond the storm. Ultimately beyond this life, as we encourage each other not to lose hope. But more to the point, Paul is being told not just to speak to his crew, but in the end, he is to speak to Caesar. The person who doesn't know God, the outsider, the one who's far away. And if you believe that what God says will happen, will happen, then we show that by explaining to the ones who aren't close that what God says will happen, will happen. Some people call that evangelism. It's just telling them that they can stake everything on what God says will happen. And if in the end, our lives are mainly rotating around our own diaries, our own studies, our own interests and our own problems, then are we really able to say that we trust that what God says will happen, will happen. If this is not our priority, then it's very hard for us to say, yeah, we've heard God speak, now we will speak. That's what Paul does in this story. When you hear what God speaks, you tell others what God speaks and says. And it's part of our church and our priorities. And we say this because, frankly, we just don't get it. It needs to be said every week. And we see how God reminds us through the Acts as we've gone through page after page. Not only trust what God says will happen, but speak to others what God says will happen. That is ultimately the only way we can really know that we believe that what God says is true. We'll stop there. We'll pray. And then after that, we'll take questions 
or make any uh, comments that you would like to make. One minute for you to pray. Ask God to really help you to hold on to something from tonight. What is God saying to you tonight from this part of the Bible? One minute. Pray to him. And then I will pray. And then we'll have some questions. Let's have our minute of prayer just quietly by ourselves. Let me pray then to conclude. Our great God, we do want to thank you that you are really God and that we can really trust what you say and that we don't need to do that because someone just tells us to do that. We do that because you have shown us from history that what you tell us we can trust and stake everything on. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us, if we're not Christians, to see how history is the special tool that you give us to understand that you are there and that we can trust you. Where we have ourselves, Lord, maybe try to save ourselves without trusting fully that you can save us. Please, would you bring that to our minds and show us that is the case. And where we know what you have told us, please help us with confidence to pass that news to others. Lord, it would be really sad if we know what the future is and we say nothing about it. So please would you help us to be clear and to be courageous. For the glory of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.